That's one of my observations over my career is the thing about a crisis is you don't see it coming and it, you never know what it's going to be. And it always seems to be something that no one thought of. Welcome to another instalment of What Matters, a podcast series inspired by a book of the same name. It's a book that navigates one man's lifetime of business and investing. I'm your host, Adam Spencer, and as always, I'm joined by that man. He's the author of What Matters, chairman of the Sydney Swans, and the co-founder of Molus Australia, which now, of course, has been rebranded as MA Financial Group. Andrew Pridham. Who have we got here and what are his credentials? We've got Brian Tyson with us. Who, Brian, you should tell everyone all about yourself because there's a lot to tell. Uh, thanks, Andrew. And hi, Adam. Um, yeah, Brian Tyson. I'm long worked with Andrew, both in a professional perspective, but also in a sporting perspective through the Sydney Swans. Uh, I manage a company called Newgate Communications, which is a strategic communications business that does, among other things, crisis and issues management and public affairs type work. And uh, it's been an organisation that actually started in this building um, when we set up in 2013. You very kindly provided us with some space in your building and we've very much appreciated that kick off to our journey, which, you know, we're in about 90 people now across Australia. Fitting that we've got you here because we discussed change and crisis management in this issue of the What Matters podcast. Andrew, in your book, What Matters, you do a quick brain dump of all the financial crises and catastrophes you can remember off the top of your head over the last 30-odd years. You come up with 10 of them. Yep. One every three years. Significant crisis that had a major impacts on the market. How many of those did we see coming? Um, in retrospect, many people would say all of them. <laughs> uh, prior to them occurring, none. The GFC always amuses me, the number of people with the global financial crisis. Surely we saw that coming. I saw the movie The Big Short. I saw Brad Pitt. Yep. We knew. Yeah, no, Brad knew. Brad knew. So many people post the event knew it was coming. Uh, I didn't meet any of those. I don't know about you, Brian, before. It's just unbelievable how people can twist their minds to believe that they could see it coming. I, I think that you'd always assume some people will predict a crisis because there's an old saying, the economist who picked um, six of the last two recessions. And so there's always going to be statistically the ability for people to say, I saw it coming, but people don't see it coming. And that's one of my observations over my career is the thing about a crisis is you don't see it coming and it, you never know what it's going to be. And it always seems to be something that no one thought of. Yes, you're right. Though a lot of hindsight is an expertise of a lot of people, a lot of people. But in terms of actually accurately predicting a crisis, it, it doesn't happen because you know you see it not only on a global scale what's happened and the ten events you talk about, but also you know from a day to day basis, just as companies and, and corporations operate, the most seemingly innocuous things become crises just because people haven't properly planned. Yeah. But in something like the the impact of COVID on world markets, sure, in November of last year, people weren't going, there's there's a pandemic imminent, look at all the indicators, but surely with the GFC, the state of that American subprime housing market and the size of the stock market, with some of these, are there all the indicators are suggesting there's one coming we just don't know when, or are people genuinely taken by surprise by these financial crises? I think they're genuinely taken by surprise. I think I come back to the to the hindsight perspective again because you can absolutely with with absolute clarity identify that these are signs that clearly pointed to something 
about to happen. But at the time, you know, people sort of ride through it and don't don't anticipate it. Always, I think, perhaps a Pollyanna perspective, always optimistic and ride through it. But with hindsight, you see where where the pitfalls were and you could see where it was coming, but you can't predict it. I think I think if people did predict every crisis, then nothing would ever get done because one, one of the reasons you don't predict them is there's always signs of something going wrong. Mm. And if you read the newspaper on any day, if you're, if you're that sadistic that you want to depress yourself, read the newspapers, the world is coming to an end on a daily basis and things such as one of my particular interests, the residential housing market, if you read the newspapers on any given day, it's going to fall 30% uh, very soon. Uh, it doesn't happen, but always people keep saying it. So if you were going to panic every time you, you saw a warning sign, you'd get nothing done. And I think things like the GFC, people could see warning signs, but you sort of explain them away. Well, that's, yes, that's this, but that's that. This won't happen. And normally that's right, but in that instance, it wasn't. I was just going to say, it's like the commercial property market, you know, with everyone at the start of the crisis, as people got used to working from home, everyone was accurately trying to suggest that that was the end of the commercial property market. But And we're still in the COVID crisis. And my perspective is that it's coming back with a head of steam, I think. You make an interesting point, Andrew, that in a couple of these cases, for example, the, the, the tech wreck of the early 2000s, where it was obvious that there were tech prices that were massively overinflated. There were companies with incredible valuations who it wasn't clear if they were doing anything, but it was actually the Japanese economy going into recession that probably tripped that. And while there were all these factors suggesting the global financial crisis you know, could happen, it was actually 9-11 and the events there that triggered the first of the stock market crashes. So even if all the indicators are there, it can be something from completely left field that trips the trigger. And, and it often is. It's like a, I guess it's like a bushfire. You need to have the conditions for the bushfire to occur, which is it might have been a drought, hasn't rained for two years, you've got hot, windy conditions, and then lightning strikes. And if it wasn't for the lightning, there wouldn't have been a bushfire. So it's often things that come from left field that cause it, but obviously the, the environmental factors or the economic factors that give the opportunity for the, it to become a crisis, that's, that's where you need to get the two to go together. And it's very, in business, it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to predict. But if I'm running a business, can I take what we've said so far in the conversation going, I just don't know when the next crisis is going to happen, so I should just proceed regardless? Or what do I do to make my business resilient to these crises that will come at some stage, we just don't know exactly what or when. Well, I think in that circumstance, and the bushfire analogy is a good one, that's a potential scenario, so you prepare for it. And, you know, being in this game for as long as I have been, so many companies don't properly prepare for the potential of a crisis. And preparation does take into account what if there is these conditions present and a lightning strike happens. So it's scenario planning for all types of circumstances and consequences that may impact on your business. Not enough companies do that work. Some do it, you know, and the, the companies that are really exposed to crises are the airline sector. Um, they probably didn't anticipate the COVID crisis, but I bet there was some scenario planning done on it. But people that are exposed to potential accidents, etc., they prepare well. But a lot of corporates and listed companies just don't prepare. How do you scenario plan? How do you stress test, etc.? while at the same time not have the business hampered by the fear of what those things is telling you day by day? You've really got to have, you've got to invest as a, as a manager of a business. You've got to invest the time 
and you've got to treat it with the respect it deserves that these types of scenario planning, crisis management simulations that are undertaken and they're undertaken and done on a regular basis. It does take an investment of time, but you've got to be absolutely committed within the business to doing it because the one time you don't prepare for a crisis is in the middle of a crisis. That's when the worst decisions are made if you don't have a plan in place. I think paranoia is a really important skill. <laughs> and I've... Hard to recruit for. No, I've perfected paranoia. Um, in fact, I'm too paranoid to tell you how I've done understand it, it, so I won't tell you. But I think if you're, if you're in business and you have a, a healthy degree of paranoia, you are always preparing for a crisis. And, and the ipso facto that you can't predict when they're going to come, you don't know what it's going to be, but you have to have enough slack in your, in your finances and in your business model that if it comes, you can you can weather the storm. And if if everything is, you know, if you've got the engine going at you know full speed, anything that can go wrong, you're just going to explode. That's when businesses do explode. You've got to have, even though the potential while you are going at that full speed is you're pulling in a little bit more coin always, and you're making a bit more return on investment. Always, always leave a bit in the tank. Don't push the accelerator all the way down ever. And and take time out to do that preparation and planning for the potential crash just because it will happen yep. eventually it well, will happen that the, the numbers bear it out just the top of my head and i'm not wikipedia uh well i have checked on wikipedia to get the dates right one every three years in my career so it's not are they going to come i can i can one thing we can both predict 100 percent certainly is it's coming and it's a question of how severe it is and, and to ensure that you've got the capacity to weather the storm now what you can't definitely can't predict and and it's possible at times you can't even prepare for is if what occurs is so catastrophic for your business, like Virgin, no, no matter what you do, it's going to wipe you out. And that's the, that's the challenging thing. And I think that then comes back to your business model. Do you actually have a good business? You've been there on the eve of the crises before and you get invited to cocktail parties that I don't when you're all standing around chomping down the cigars in the gentlemen's clubs and things like that. And it's two minutes to midnight. Are there voices around the table going, gee, this can't last much longer? Or is there a collective sort of euphoria that takes hold, even amongst people who've been through five or six of those previous roller coaster rides? Yeah, well, I think, <laughs> I'm not sure, except the, uh, the cigar uh, chopping. The premise of the question, as exactly. they say. But um, mineral water sipping. <laughs> exactly, shot. maybe that's more. But there are those situations where you are, you know. The, and in that situation, you do see, and some CEOs and some organisations, even though they're trading on the good times, the good ones have taken time out to prepare for the bad times. You, and the you, get, a, you get a smell of it, the yeah. sense that things are just too good. Things don't stay good forever. And you've just got to be aware of it. But, you know, the, the reality is that... Zig while others zag. Yeah, people are often you know, negative and they're, and they're seeing things and you've got to block the noise out because otherwise... You lose your nerve and you can't get anything done. But you've also got to be thinking, you know, things are, are things just too good? You know, maybe sometimes they are. They're just too good and karma's going to hit us all and be ready for it. And that's the time you do prepare for when things aren't so good. That's when your instinct should really kick in. We've got to be prepared for when it's not so good. And sometimes that's the hardest call to make. Just a quick stop during today's conversation because I wanted to remind you if you're enjoying what you're hearing, and would like to learn more, you can head over to mafinancial.com slash whatmatters to access your copy of the What Matters ebook, a book that navigates a lifetime of business and investing. That website again, mafinancial.com 
slash what matters. Now, back to the conversation. Take us in, inside that moment, whether you're within an organisation in an economy-wide collapse or something that's just hit your particular industry or even just your organisation within a broader industry. What's it like to be in that moment and what are some of the, the strategies you'd really strongly advocate people have to follow in those moments? We've touched already on sometimes that's the time when you're most likely to make bad decisions. Take us inside those moments. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, he loves it. <laughs> I mean, and we advise people all the time to plan for the crisis, and we, you know, we do a lot of business out of planning for crises. It's, it's an interesting aside. When the Dream World tragedy happened on the Gold Coast, we were swamped with inquiry from similar style uh, organisations and businesses like Bridge Climb, like Taronga Zoo, those types of organisations. Wondering what if this what happened if, to us? What if it had happened to us? Because, you know, it was such a left field incident, a tragic incident, but had they, we hadn't prepared for it. What if that had happened to us? We were exposed. And organisations that are potentially exposed like that, even they weren't properly prepared, but that kind of prompted them into action. So preparation is absolutely key and you can't drive that home hard enough. But you need to more than just prepare. You need to, you know, you do your crisis plan, you put it on the shelf, you forget about it. You need to revisit it. You've got to revisit it every... Fire hose in hand every day. Absolutely. And it's at least, you know, it's it's a formal review every six to 12 months to make sure Joe Blow's still in in that section of the business, that uh, the scenarios that you've anticipated are still the kinds of scenarios that might play out. You know, we've had COVID since, so do people need to update their planning in future about the next pandemic? Of course they do. Um, so preparation, planning and scenario testing it is are critical. Having said all that, there are so many situations where the crisis occurs and and they haven't done it. And at that stage, companies are generally really in trouble because you can't make, it's very difficult to make sound judgments and decisions in the middle of a crisis. And when you haven't got protocols put in place and um, you don't know who's making the decisions and um, what, the, what the process for engagement is with your business, government, regulators, customers, uh, community, media. None of that's been prepared for. So in that situation, you know, that's when we often get called in and, you know, the value we provide is we've often seen that situation before. So we can help to provide some calmness and perspective. Well, I think one of the important. things you do provide, which is you know, why we use you, for example, your services, is when you're running a business, it's really important to, to get some independence mm. occasionally. Someone independently come in, fresh set of eyes and say, right, let's have a look at everything and, and what if this happens? What if It's very hard as a management team yeah. to do that because, you know, you kid yourself, you know, everything you're doing, we're doing this well, we're doing this well, we're doing this well, that won't go wrong, this won't go wrong. Someone coming in like Brian and saying, well, have you what, thought about yeah, this? What if this yeah, happened? Yeah. What would you do? And I think in that sense, it's perspective because you've seen it before. And often, you know, we've often a, uh, an organisation is going through a crisis of the type that they're going through for the very first time. And so you can't understand or know how to handle it. So we can provide that perspective. It's a third party analysis, but it's also the helicopter view because often a you're in the middle of a crisis, your judgment gets clouded and you mm. think the whole world is caving in on you when in, in reality, more often than not, it's, it isn't. You've just got to take the deep breath, be and, strategic. And it's often your, the immediate response. When it's an acute crisis, it's your first steps. 
And if you haven't prepared for it, this is what I see so often. Oh, yeah. If you get your first steps wrong, often you never you just mm. never catch up. Yeah, you're behind the eight ball; it's all over. In the time that you've been in leading in business, there's been these multiple financial crises. When when there is a fan and something has hit it, because I get the impression, as opposed to sometimes reputational situations, where the best thing you can do is everyone just take a breath and no one talk to anyone for a couple of days. Here, we'll get our messaging and we'll come back. Are there times, by the nature of financial crises, where you have to make decisions? reasonably quickly on imperfect information and they could be effectively life or death decisions for your business or do people tend to panic and think that's the case about decisions more often than it really is? I think there can be situations of panic when something just completely unexpected occurs. So I think that can can happen and, and a very good example you know, during my career, which is one of the crises I talk about, is 9-11 mm. and, you know, no one predicted 9-11, although I have read people saying, well, you know, the political friction that was there, you could see it coming, but, you know, good The luck. Illuminati, all that <laughs> good, sort of stuff. Good luck. Um, geniuses. Yeah, geniuses, unbelievable. Uh, I was watching an Austin Powers movie when I was living in Singapore the night it happened. Um, that's how prepared I was. <laughs> that doesn't and, exactly get your mind set on yeah, geopolitics. And, and, correct. And I was, I was the global head of real estate at UBS, and we had financed the World Trade Centre. Mm. Uh, and I had been on the roof of the World Trade Center not long before. And it was one of those transactions we'd financed. It was, it was for Westfield. They'd bought the shopping center underneath. What could go wrong? What a magnificent asset. You know, nothing could go wrong here. Well, you know, we didn't expect what occurred to have occurred. And that's an example where you have to act really fast because, you know, is the building insured? Is it adequately insured? Do we have people in it? Are they, you know, what are the risks of staff? What's the financial consequences? What are the markets going to do tomorrow? So you, you need to act very quickly. And that's that's where you need a calm head. And if you're well prepared and you've thought these things through because you're paranoid about things going wrong, you're just better prepared even to make the right decisions. Even if you haven't picked that scenario, because you wouldn't have picked that no. scenario in a million years. And you never do. And the and the scenarios that you do prepare for and you plan for. Uh, from the the more mundane to the most extreme, but when the crisis hits, it's normally none of the <laughs> none of those. But what you've done though is gone through the discipline, and so a lot of the learnings from preparing in those scenarios enables you to make sound decisions and quick decisions when a crisis like a nine eleven happens. In a financial crisis where the markets just suddenly start completely tanking, do people tend to rush for the exits and fear governs their decisions there. When again, a clear head and just if you've got the potential to ride it out would be a far better, wiser course? Yeah, well, I think there's no doubt, particularly in terms of markets, I, I can assure you that people run for the exits and that's why they occur because everyone's selling for the exits. and not pe many people are buying. So you, you know it's happening and sometimes it's good. You know, every, every situation is different in some way and sometimes it's good to panic early. There's an old saying, if you're going to panic, panic early and panic hard. Uh, sometimes it's good not to panic and just to do nothing, uh, and sometimes it's the luck of the draw whether you get that right or wrong. I'm interested in your take on this, Andrew, because thinking about the big stock market corrections of my lifetime is 87? 87, 2000. Um, 2000. I, I would say, leading up to what's just happened with the COVID crisis, that the markets have, are a bit more measured in their, in their reaction, and investors are a bit more measured from 
87 where everyone panicked and it yeah i think it's it's, it's a different world now because you've got computers make so much of the, yeah. the decision and you know the computers don't have emotion yeah um i mean adam you probably do and you're you're virtually a computer <laughs> um but the, the computers will just they, they see movements and they react so you get you do get dramatic movements and when when it was announced uh, two days before uh, we, we're, we're taping this that pfizer had found um, or had, had got 90 percent success rate very with, good results with, with a um with a COVID vaccine on that day REITs in the US, which own shopping centres and office buildings, were up 30 to 50%. Now, do you think those properties went up in value by 30 to 50% on one day? And all the tech stocks, which have run very hard during COVID, collapsed. Do you think they suddenly lost yeah. 30%? Of course they didn't. But people, like, people do overreact at the edges, but it's very, it's very difficult. I think historically, if you're, if you're a long-term investor, the one thing you know is that in, in time, things will go up in value. And if you just do nothing, you'll actually be better than people who panic in and out because um, you don't know. Hope you're enjoying the What Matters podcast as much as we're enjoying bringing it to you. If you've only just come across the podcast, make sure you go back and listen to the earlier episodes. In episode one, entitled Reflections, Andrew acknowledged not all successful people are kind people. I struggle with whether kindness fits on the list of ingredients for success because I know many successful people who have no kindness in them whatsoever. So it's, it's the one characteristic I thought, maybe this doesn't belong, but I put it in anyway. But some who almost, in my experience, acknowledge, almost celebrate their own lack of kindness. Some people are unbelievably unkind and they do. They think it's, it shows strength and toughness and if there's a chance to take a dollar from you and it's a dollar more for them, they'll do it. I just think it's not a great trait for success because if you don't enjoy what you're doing and those around you don't enjoy it and you're not kind, you're not going to be, you're not going to have humility, I don't think if you're not kind. You're not going to have loyalty if you're not kind. And kindness is just something, decency is another word for it. To me, it's really, really important that if you're going to be successful and enjoy success, that you have kindness in your spirit. That's episode one of What Matters, entitled Reflections. Make sure you check it out. Now, back to our conversation. You would have sat down at the table with a lot of people who were really in the crosshairs of a crisis. In terms of the personality sets of the people who deal better with those situations or tend to come out better, what are the common personality sets of those who will go better or could really struggle in those sort of difficult situations? Um, that's a good question. There. People who listen are really important, but you also need decision makers. So people are prepared to make decisions, but only on the basis of taking and heeding advice. Um, so that's that's important, really important. Um, you don't need uh, people who are too mindful of their perspective in the media. They don't need to be premed on us. They need to be um, sound people who are prepared to articulate the corporate company agreed line etc without be, becoming a prima donna or being averse to media engagement or on the other hand overwhelming and overplaying it and wanting to be seen to be making decisions all the time but fundamentally i think it's people who are prepared to take advice and listen and not react hastily it's interesting you learn a lot about people in the process and mm. I've, I've been involved in you know 
not just crises, but when things aren't going well. It's amazing some people who 95% of the time, they're very good, very good um, performers, you know, solid, do a good job. And some people, it's just in their DNA that when something goes badly wrong or there's a crisis, they just lose it and mm. they panic. And it's hard to spot. But once, you know, it's the old saying, you wouldn't want to go to war with that person. Well, I know a lot of people like that where... They know, shut the door, turn they, the music they, they panic. The first thing a lot of these people do is they'll say, mm. it's his fault. So they'll be thinking about apportioning blame. It's got nothing to do with me. In the, in the old Hollywood movie, it was when, when they're all on the raft and there's a shark circling, the moment someone starts crying and telling you how much they love their mum or their girlfriend, that's the next person the shark's going for. <laughs> that, they're going to jump off and try and swim for safety. They're gone. Yeah. yeah. So what is, what is it? A, a coolness? A calmness? Yeah, some people are just calmer and, and they a bit more perspective and they'll take stuff in and other people, you know, you can see them physically shaking and they, they, and they just can't think straight. And it's a good question and sometimes you need to have the crisis to work that out. Yeah. And to Andrew's point, you sometimes don't know and you think that... Is that also a service you offer? <laughs> well, I suppose we, the bit, service bit, we bit offer is... A self-sabotage? You don't need to because people self-select. I mean, I've seen it, people who've been colleagues of mine over these, and when something goes wrong, they just melt down and you can never look at them the same way because you yeah. think, I can't rely on you in a crisis. Mm. So therefore, you can't be in that job anymore because, you know... You, you need you, to manage a crisis. You, you can't mm. do that. And, and, I, and I know people who are ostensibly very successful and good people, but when the fan gets hit, as you put it, they're, they're hopeless. They just cannot make a decision. All their decisions are woeful. And you just go, no, no, no. You almost have to sort of say, you know, restrain them and say, get out. You know, you, what, what's you, hitting the fan could well be emanating yeah, from you them. You can no longer be involved in sorting this out. Yeah. And they often sometimes over, overcompensate for that and make bad, bad decisions because they feel like they're out of control. The flip side or, the, or the, I guess the, the correlation to this is that you, you know, there, there is change sometimes, this crisis change. At the same time, throughout the economies and communities we're working in and people are setting up businesses in and running those businesses, the rate of change is just incredible. And the great quote I like about it is, you know, the rate of change has never been this fast and it will never be this slow again. So the sort of principles that you lay down in thought pieces like this, in a world that is changing so quickly, you talked about the old computers versus now, and you do a great case study in the book of, you know, I know when you were at university, it was punch card computers versus you know, if you had two mobile phones, one of them in your car, one of them in a suitcase that you had someone else horse, horse and carriage. Yeah, carrying around for you, et cetera. What do we know about the principles that stay constant and still guide us in an era where you don't recognise the business world of 10 years ago? Well, I mean, I talk about in the book what matters i talk about that people i think very frequently change the way they do things but they don't change what they do very often that happens very slowly and you know i, I really enjoyed doing some researching into australia 100 years ago hmm. and it was very relevant with the covid pandemic because 100 years ago the spanish flu the soldiers had come back from world war 1 um, the Spanish flu was, you know, rife in Australia, and it was just fascinating to me to read what life was like in leafy, quiet Mossman in 1920, where you had you know, people having to stay at home. They couldn't go to the shops. They couldn't go out. Couldn't go to church. People used to go to church. Mm. Uh, they couldn't go to church. They couldn't go to school. Advised to wear face masks. Theatres, face masks. They used to have all sorts of smelling salts crazy solutions. And, and life in 1920 was really interesting in Mossman. You, you know, 
the women of the day would have their dresses delivered from uh, David Jones, um, Hortons or whoever in, in the city. They'd be delivered to their house by a delivery man or, or post. They could buy it with catalogues. If they didn't like it, they'd send it back. All of their food was home delivered. Rabbits, the, milk delivered the rabbit the man would come the milk, man. the ice. Um, what does that sound like? It was 1920, and then we're now back with, you know, it's just the... It's, Amazon meets Uber it's, Eats. It's told, you're knocking on your door, delivering, you know, whatever uh, to your house. So we go in these cycles. Changes constantly. It changes, but the way we do things change, but what we do really doesn't change that much. You use a football analogy. Kevin Sheedy used that line that you only have to know you can cope with change by looking at your photo album. And if you think of a couple of case studies in history, of, to your point about the how and the what, is that you just got to adapt to the change. And you think about Kodak, they discovered digital photography. Mm. Didn't respond and react, someone else took it. Nokia, they discovered the iPhone technology. They didn't respond and adapt. And now they're, well, the Nokia might be making a retro comeback, but companies are falling away. Just not because of the change, but because they were on top of the change, but they just didn't adapt for how. Yeah. Mm. And people still take photographs. Yeah. But they do it in a different way. So they, they're still doing the same thing doing it differently. You guys try to say being innovative is typically no more than understanding what your customers want and finding the way in the moment to manufacture, promote, distribute products and services. Yeah, well, if you look at that, the essence of a lot of technology businesses that are hugely successful in the world, um, all they have done, and it's a, it's a phrase I've heard uh, Rich Barton, who's the CEO of Zillow, which is a company I follow, which is the equivalent of realestate.com in the US, he calls it turning the screen around. So what a lot of these technology disruptors have done is on tra with travel, for example, it used to be you'd talk to the travel agent over the phone. They'd be typing in lots of keystrokes. Where do you want to fly to? BT, yeah, Ballina, go to the beach hotel. And you'd, you'd want to reach through the phone, grab them by their neck and strangle them because it took so long. And then they'd give you a flight and it wouldn't suit you and they'd have to do it all again. And what the technology's done, people still want to book a flight. They still want to fly somewhere. It's turned the screen around so that they're given the power to the consumer. And what the consumer always wanted was just to book a flight to go to Ballina. They didn't want to talk to somebody. They didn't want to listen to the keystrokes. And they wanted to choose and be able to change it. So, so much, I think, innovation is just understanding what people want and what they want to do and, and then making it as easy and as cheap for them to do it as yeah. possible. It's still all about the customer. That hasn't changed. No. But the subtlety with which you did mention the Beach Hotel... Yes. Owned by Molus was was product placement still you know, master to behold. Yeah. So what's your what's your crucial takeaway from this discussion, Brian? Well, change is constant. You just got to adapt. Think about it always from the perspective of the customer. That's from the change perspective. And in terms of crisis, just be prepared. You know, you can't you can't wing it in a crisis. You have to take the time out to prepare. Yeah, I think if there's one phrase that is a alarm bell to me, it's like a ring, 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 to panic and run, is when anyone says to you, this time it's different. When you hear that, I warn you, it's not. There's a big fan, it's about to get hit or it's being hit. <laughs> Nobody's going to work in offices again. Nobody's going to drive cars again. This time it's different. It's not different. It's very rarely different. Yeah. It's already changing back. Well, the one thing that's certainly not been different is that this episode of What Matters has been thought-provoking and a wild ride. Thank you, Adrian. Thanks to our special guest. Love to have you along, B2. Thanks. All the best, mate. Thanks. Cheers.
Thank you for joining today's episode of What Matters. And don't forget, head over to mafinancial.com slash whatmatters to download your copy of the ebook. Be sure to subscribe to What Matters, and I'll see you next time for an in-depth discussion about starting and building a successful business. That's next on What Matters. What Matters.